uh, verse 4, treat wisdom as your sister and insight as your closest friend. That means something different to me as an adult than it did as a child because as a, as a little boy, I treated my sister a certain way that wouldn't be you know, what was intended there. So this is going to go a lot easier for us today if you laugh at my dumb jokes, okay? <laughs> there, that's good. That's a little better. So today we're going to start a... Um, a new, um, a new series. It's going to be three parts, and it's, of course, based around the stories in the Word about the Christmas season. And we're going to be talking about times specifically when angels, three different times when angels showed up and, and talked to somebody and, uh, in the Christmas story. And one thing you're going to notice is that when, when they showed up, the very first thing that they typically say is, Fear not, right? Okay, so this, there's, there's some understanding um, in the heavens that when they show up, there's going to be some feelings here about just the appearance. And today I want to talk about when an angel appears to a teenaged virgin named Mary. And the next week we're going to talk about a counterpart story when, he, when an angel shows up and appears to Joseph. We'll be talking about you know this fear that we have about what other people think about us. That's for next week. Today I want to talk about our fear of what God has planned for you and for me, what he has planned for us, or what he might be asking of us in this life. And I think, I think sometimes people treat God like that annoying person in their life who you know that every time they, en- they encounter you, they want something, right? Okay? Do you know what I'm talking about? There's this annoying... You don't know what I'm talking about. But there, there's this, this annoying person that, you know, that there's always, they always have a need. As soon as they encounter you, they're going to be asking something, expecting something. And, like, if you happen to see them in the grocery store, you, you nudge your wife... You don't say anything out loud. You say, Take, go back down that aisle. What, why? why? No, no, go back down that aisle. And you say, do not make eye contact. You know what I'm talking about? Where, where we, you have no idea what I'm talking about. You, okay, those of you who have no idea what I'm talking about, I'm sorry that my voice is interrupting the polishing of your halo. Continue with your dueling. <laughs> but for the rest of us real people, we kind of pretend like we don't see them. I think sometimes we treat God that way. Okay, we, we kind of, you know, we, we, we want to be close enough to God that we, you know, get in on all the good stuff. Um, but sometimes we kind of want to let God's comments to us just kind of go straight on through to voicemail. We don't want to take the call right now and we'll deal with it somehow a little bit later on and we kind of pretend that we don't see him, you know. I mean, I think sometimes we have this fear that if we were to be totally and completely surrendered to God. The risk is, he might ask me to do something that I don't want any part of. I mean, I mean, what if he says, Terry, Africa, start learning some language and start learning to like to eat bugs or something. And I, oh man, I can do that. I mean, I was in church one time and this missionary came and he was telling this story about how he was in this culture somewhere and they had the big banquet and they wanted to honor him and the way that they would honor you was you got to stick your thumb in and pull the eyeball out of the monkey and eat the monkey's eyeball. A delicacy and I'm thinking, oh God, do not call me there ever. I mean, it's like, I mean, and anyway, so I mean, we're afraid that we're going to have to go someplace or we're going to have to give something up that we don't want to give up or do something or be nice to cats or I don't know what it's going to be. But if I completely surrender to God, there could be this thing. And so we have this sense of fear, this, you know, what if I give everything I am to him? And life doesn't go where I would prefer in the direction that I kind of want it to go. And this fear can overwhelm us. It can kind of overtax us, you know, 
And, and I've heard fear defined before. You know, fear is the absence of faith. And okay, okay, that's an acceptable definition. But I, I would argue, and I've done this, mentioned this before, I think that fear actually is faith. It's just faith in the wrong things. There's a time where we put our faith into the what-ifs. And that can kind of, kind of get our little wheels off the rails. You know, what if the economy falls apart? What if I lose my job? What, 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 if, what if somebody I love gets sick? What, what if I never, ever get married? Or what if I do get married, but I get married to a jerk? And then, you know, what if we have little jerky kids, and they look like the jerk, and I'm forever reminded I married a jerk? I mean, what if? <laughs> what if? It just goes on and on. And fear always drives us to the worst-case scenario. Have you noticed that? It doesn't take us to, well, some little thing. It takes us to the end of the rails, okay? Like, for example, I mean, we, we, become, we can become overtaken by this silly, irrational fear. And I'll give you an example. You know, I'm, in our marriage, I'm typically the one who's on time, and I'm walking carefully here, and Lisa's not so strong at that. She's extremely gifted in a lot of areas prolifically. If you know the two of us, you know that's true. But time accuracy is not her top quality. Okay, so, so, so I can be sitting somewhere, and we have this thing where I think she's going to be back at a certain time, or we're going to meet somewhere at a certain time. And I'm there, and... Um, Someone else isn't there. I'm not going to name who it would. I don't want to point anybody out. And, and, and so I'll start looking at my watch, and we're five minutes late, and I was 10 minutes late, and I was 20 minutes late. And now, pretty soon, this fear thing does kick in. I mean, not, it's not, it has, right? And I start thinking, where is she? Maybe she meant to be here, but something happened. Maybe she's been in a car wreck. Maybe she's dead. Oh, no. My life is over. She's not here. She's dead in a car wreck somewhere. I can't keep my ministry. I can't do this without her. My kids, how am I going to raise my kids? My kids, she, she brings everything that's beautiful in my life. My kids are going to grow up ugly. I'm going to be a bachelor with ugly kids. No one's going to want to marry a bachelor with a bunch of ugly kids. I'm going to be an 80-year-old bachelor, lonely with ugly kids. Or maybe that's not you. Maybe you're the same thing, but your wife has all the smarts in your couple. Same as me. But she, you know, maybe you guys homeschool and you're thinking, oh no, my kids are going to grow up stupid. So I got ugly kids, you got stupid kids. I don't know, but the fear (laughs) takes us all the way to the worst case scenario. None of you ever go down a trail like that, though. I can tell. That you don't that fear drives us. It just drives our faith to the worst case scenario. Good news though, you know, she's only ten minutes late and here she comes and she's got a latte with me, with her to say, Hey, sorry I'm late. Thoughtful, beautiful. And she's just fine. She's there. I was the one all anyway. So the good news is this. Second Timothy one seven, for God has not given us a spirit of fear. But instead of power and of love, and of a sound mind. A sound mind. I want to talk to you today about the fear of what God might be asking us to do. And we're going to look at what what happens when this angel appears to this teenaged girl 
named Mary. Now, why are we afraid of God's plans? I'm going to give, there's lots of reasons, but I'm going, to, I'm going to get two out of this message. The first one is this. God's interruptions are often inconvenient. They're just kind of inconvenient right now. So we'll see this in the story, starting in Luke 1, starting in verse 29, or 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy... Who's Elizabeth, if you don't know who Elizabeth is? She's a relative of Mary. She's um, too old to give birth. She's, she's unable to conceive, the scriptures say. And this angel appears to her hubby and says, hey, um, you're gonna, your wife's going to get pregnant. And they don't know at the time, but she's actually going to become pregnant with someone that we later know as John the Baptist. So pretty, pretty big stuff going on. And now this angel shows up and comes a different, I don't know if it's the same angel, it comes to Mary and, and it says, um, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee. Now, I want to talk about this for a second because I think, I think when people think of angels, they think it's this fluffy, overweight baby, maybe with a harp that just kind of drifted down from its cloud. And um, no, these are, that's not what the picture is here. Angels, these angels are fierce, battle-ready creatures. And uh, they're sub- submissive enough to God. You know, they're battle-ready, but they're submissive enough to God to go and tenderly care for an innocent little child. This, they got the whole thing going on here. And there are very few angels that are named, actually, in scriptures. Uh, Gabriel, Michael is named. The other angels that get named are angels that have fallen. And so there are very few, and anyway, this one gets named, or it appears, so this, this, this angel appears to Mary, verse 27. So a virgin, to a virgin named Mary, she was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King, Ga- King David, verse 28. Gabriel appeared to her and said, greetings, favored woman. Now, this is one polite angel, okay. So now, is she excited? Greetings, favored woman. Is she all excited? Oh, I've always wanted to see an angel. No. She's freaking, okay? It goes on, it says, she's, she's freaking out. Um, verse 29, confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what this angel could be talking about, what this angel could mean. Now, here's her backstory. We don't know for sure how old she is, but she was likely 14, 15, 16. Because in their culture, when a girl reached puberty, she was fairly quickly betrothed, committed to marriage with someone. So she's probably very young, and um, she's probably, you know, okay, she's betrothed, marriage is coming. I don't know what you've noticed, but when women have a marriage and it's all kind of arranged and it's coming to them and there's maybe even a date set, they start doing these things. So, So Mary's probably... She's probably searching Pinterest, looking for the creative things she can do to decorate at the reception, the colors of the dresses. Okay, this is the stuff that's going on, right? Maybe they didn't have Pinterest, but there's, right? Okay, so she's dreaming about that kind of, she's probably practicing signing her name. <laughs> Mrs. Mary, I don't know his last name, of Nazareth. You know, so she's practicing signing. Or maybe she goes backwards, I don't know, but she's practicing signing her name. And here's the other thing. She's probably coming up with, she's dreaming about these unique names that their children can be called, right? Girls do this kind of stuff. Guys, you know, Fred, Bob, whatever. Okay, just, just you know, whatever. But like, okay, so she's thinking of these names. Now, this is a complete distraction, but I, I heard about this name. And like, how to make this name, the spell different than anybody else might think. So do you know, maybe you've seen this name before? 
No slide? Oh. Okay, so maybe you've seen this name before and you know how to pronounce it. Ladasha. Okay, I don't know what that has to do with Jesus of Nazareth, but um, if you've never seen it, so, so, so Mary, okay, take it down. So Mary's thinking up these unique names. So this is the stuff that's going on in her mind. Planning the colors of the dresses, what kind of cake, chocolate or white, the answer is chocolate. You know, those kinds of things. And this angel shows up, and he's interrupting her plans. He's interrupting her plans. And it's incredibly inconvenient, this interruption. The plans that she's got planned out. So, what about these interruptions that we, so these things that happen, these, so, so often... What you and I would call an interruption, God sees those as an invitation. You know, we feel like God's interrupting us, and he's actually inviting us to something that's higher and something that's better. You know, Moses, Moses is this guy, and one day he's just having this regular day, and he gets interrupted by this burning bush, and he gets invited by God to become the deliverer of a nation from bondage. Jonah, Jonah's out on a cruise, He's, I don't know, it's a cruise through the locks and then to Panama or something, I don't know. But he's on this cruise, and God shows up and says, you know, his interruption is this big fish, and um, he gets the invitation to go and preach salvation to an entire city, the city of Nineveh. And they turned, by the way. In the New Testament, we see a character whose name at the time, he was called Saul, and he was just having this normal, normal day of killing Christians, Right? I mean, that's what his normal day was, to pursue and per- this pursuit of people who stand. And God interrupts him with this blinding flash of light and invites him to become, in a sen- essentially, the author of an awful lot of the New Testament. These crazy interruptions. People have our, we have our plans, and, and uh, we, we see these things somehow as invading our plans, but they're very often an invitation to something better. And it's too often what we do is we shake these things off. We shake off these, these interruptions when God really wants to invite us into something that's grand. And I don't know how this will play out in your life. But if you will be sensitive enough to see what we call an interruption as an invitation from the Lord, God might take you to something new and he might take you to something different to do something that you couldn't ever have even predicted on your own. And maybe you've already got an interruption in your life. Maybe you've already got an invitation story. You know, some of you, some of you in here weren't, you weren't church people. You weren't a religious person. You were just minding your business and you had a friend who kept inviting you to come to church. They kept saying, come on with me, come with me to church. In fact, they begged you to come to church. And at some point you finally said, okay, I'll just go. I'll tolerate it. I'll sit through a service. Just I'm going to get this check mark off my list so that they'll leave me alone. And you went and something happened. And you were touched by a song or you were touched by something that somebody said to you or, or during the message, somehow you, you heard something and you were convinced that God was speaking to you. And your heart started to soften in those moments. And, and suddenly you found yourself drawn closer to God and the things of God. And, and at some point following that, you, you cried out and said, God, forgive me. I, I need to be forgiven. And you sensed the supernatural presence of the king. And what you thought was an interruption 
was actually an invitation from the king to something grand. And now those interruptions just kind of seem to pop up in your life. You, you know, you have a friend who lands in the hospital and you think, well, I really should go and visit him because I care, but I'm so busy. I just don't have the time for this. I mean, I just, and, but that urge just won't go away. You really should go. And, and so you roll with it and you show up and you're in the hospital room and some, some words start coming out of your mouth that you didn't plan to say. And you have no idea where that came from. And you're thinking, well, where did this come from? And there's a faith that's present. And you see the king ministering to your friend and you're thinking, how did that happen? And there's a sense he says, God used me in a way that I, I have no idea. And something significant happened, and it was an invitation. It was just this invitation from God. And then you come to church again. And up front, somebody maybe will mention that there's some need in the church. And you're thinking, well, I could do that, but you know, I don't have the time for that. But before you realize it, you find yourself after church on your way to your cookies. There's a sign-up sheet, and you signed up. And then, the, and then all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're thinking, why am I doing this? I don't have the time. And the next thing you know, you're playing with babies in the nursery. Or you're greeting people at the front door. Or you're carrying bags of groceries to help some family on some night who just came for bags of groceries. And two months later, you find yourself thinking, man, that is the best hour of my week. When I'm sitting there loving on babies and they don't even know I'm praying for them and I'm touching them on behalf of the king and their future has changed just because I sit on the floor and I play with a baby and there's something in you that says, wow, that's the best, best hour of my week. What happened? God interrupted you. You went with that interruption and you found out that it was an invitation to something better. And you can get those kinds of divine interruptions if you'll choose not to shake them off. Used to go salmon fishing and, you know, you know what a shaker is? It's a fish that's not legal and you, you get it up out of the line and, and if you just let it, hold it, most of the time they'll shake off and you can go on your day. It's a shaker. I don't want that salmon. You really want that salmon, but you let it go. God doesn't want you to shake off his invitations. He doesn't want you to. And the angel appears to this girl who has things planned and what she's going to do and he says, I got something different for you. And in verse 30, in the King James Version, it says, fear not. But I'm looking at the New Living Translation. He says, don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. Favor. Well, that sounds good. Hey, if God's passing out favor, sign me up. I'll <laughs> go for some of that. And we're going to find, though, that this favor was not exactly what she was thinking or what she was hoping that it was going to be. She's probably thinking at this point, wow, favor, I'm getting marriage, married, I'm probably getting a spot on the wedding channel. That probably means they're going to feature me in a TV show and I'm going to get free cakes and free dresses maybe and maybe even a free honeymoon to Acapulco um, and um, there's going to be, you know, and there's going to be a honeymoon here coming, Mary. It's not going to be the one you're thinking. You get to go to Egypt. But anyway, that's a distraction. So why are we so often afraid of God's plans? One, because his interruptions are inconvenient. And the second one is this. God's purpose is often different than your plans. God's purpose is often different than your plans. It, it's, it's, it's so common that his purpose is going to take us different than what our plans are. And we see this in, in verses 31 to 33. The angel reveals his purpose to this young girl. And he says, 31, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. And he will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. 
Wow, the Lord God. He has this powerful announcement. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. This is a big announcement. This is a big moment for this girl. Verse 33, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. You're going to give birth to the Son of God, and his name's going to be Jesus, and he's going to be the Savior of the world. And you can only imagine, you know, this teenage girl. Come on, teenager. She's a teenage girl, and her emotions have got to be got reeling back and forth at this point, you know. God interrupts her with a plan that disturbs her, it says, disturbs her, and he reveals God's purposes here. And there must have been a moment where she was just blown away. Oh, I've been chosen to be the mother of the Son of God. That's really pretty cool. And then, boom. Wait a second. There's some other stuff going on here. I'm, um, I mean, I'm going to be pregnant out of wedlock. In their culture, that was a crime punishable by stoning to death. Wow, I get to be the mother of the Son of God. They're going to kill me. Oh, and there's another thing. I have to have a conversation with this guy named Joseph. I got to have that. I face that. This, this poor girl. You know, hey, Joey, you sitting down? I, <laughs> I'm pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Okay, so I'm going to take that conversation. God's purpose for her were so far removed than her plans. And Isaiah 55 talks about that condition for us. Verses 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways. This is God talking to us, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. I don't know how this will play out in your life, but you know when God interrupts you with an invitation, you're going to discover that his purposes are different <laughs> than your plans. And you're going to see this happen over and over and over again. Maybe, maybe you have you know, dreamed of having the perfect, healthy family and that when you had children, they would be you know, perfect. And you had no idea that you would have this child that would be born to you and with special needs. And you'd think, why us? Why not that family? I mean, this family, I'm, all these other families have this childhood thing going on like I planned. And, and then you find out that in that process, somehow the interactions there bring you closer to God. They, 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 they do something in your soul and it causes you to produce more love than you ever understood you would be ever capable of because his purposes are different than your plans. Or, or maybe you lose a job and you're thinking, this is the worst thing ever. God, could you be any part of this? I mean, where are you? I, I don't get this at all. And you get down to the place where you have no other options. And you've been thinking about something for a while, and so you decide to venture off on some enterprise on your own, and you start your own business, and all of a sudden you find the presence of the king and something of joy and something of vision for your future that's never been there before. And you would have never jumped out of that nest. It was too comfortable. And you think, you know, God, why are you here? And then all of a sudden you see that he's got something higher and better for you. And I, I've, you know, I've, had, I've heard this, I've heard this next comment, Many times in my pastor, you know, some will say, I thought I was going to marry this person and it uh, looked really good and then something happened in our relationship and the bottom dropped out and I thought, I'm never going to have a good marriage. You know, who, who, who could ever be like this guy? I thought he was the one. And, and th- I've heard that comment many times 
and they have no idea who the person is that God is actually preparing for them, is so much better. So much more incredibly suited to partner and to mate, to be complete and one with them. And they just couldn't see it at the time because God's purposes are so different than our plans. And I was thinking, you know, of, of when we're just, we just get to the place where we just really can't see. We think we do, but we don't see. I was, you know, I've, I've shared with you some of my hunting stories, which I don't get to do too often anymore, but um, I was thinking about this time that I was out elk hunting with a few of my pals, and, and um, if you've ever been elk hunting, some of you will identify with this, um, it's a lot of hard work. And so, you know, I'm, I'm, I've been hunting for a number of years at this point, and I'm, I'm kind of in hog heaven because now I not, I, I'm not sleeping in a tent anymore. And it's elk season around here is cold and wet, and lonely. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so elk hunting. And so um, <clears throat> I remember, and I'm with my pals, and we had been out for the day chasing elk. And when you're tracking elk, it's just not fair. I mean, you're dressed with all these layers so that you don't die from hypothermia, from the wetness, okay, and the cold. And then you get on an elk track, and now you're tracking them. And it's a two-foot drive versus a four-hoof drive. There's no chance, but you are going up and down hills that take you forever, and you're getting hot, and you're, you're tired, and you're sweating, and you're dirty, and the elk are getting further away from you, and they, you don't care anymore, and the thing, the most important thing to you is the log and the campfire in the evening, and I'm thinking I'm in hog heaven because now I'm not sleeping in a tent anymore, which I did originally with the guys I hunted with. Now I've moved up to a pickup truck, and I do have a canopy in the back, and there's a mattress, and I'm feeling like I'm in hog heaven. Now, there's this, this other guy who is hunting with our hunting party this time, and he's this experienced hunter, been out there for a while, and um, we've got all of our pickup trucks, but he's got a truck with a travel trailer connected to it. So we get back to camp that night, and I've never really paid attention to travel trailers, okay? At this point, I just figured that you get inside there, and there might be some place on the floor you lay down. So I don't know what's going on. So we, we get back there. I'm so glad. And I'm just thinking, oh, my log and the campfire. And I get my hot dog out and it's raining. I don't care. I'm just not chasing elk anymore. And I'm happy. I'm dirty. I'm just wet and all this kind of stuff. And half an hour later, this guy walks out of this travel trailer. He's got clean clothes on. His head's wet. Not from the rain. And he's got this plate of hot steaming food. And I'd say, what? I said to this guy, I, I was so naive. I didn't know there was anything better than a canopy, okay? And I said to him, what happened to you? He says, oh, I just took a shower. <laughs> you got a shower in there? He goes, yeah, hot water. You have hot running water in there? Oh, yeah, I got a thermostat, heats the whole place, and a stove. <laughs> now, some of you are perfectly happy on the log of the campfire when God wants you to have a hot run and shower, and an oven. <laughs> now, I realize that's corny, but the, I, I was dumbfounded that there would be running water in a moving vehicle. I had never conceived that before. You probably remember that night. <laughs> Carter's here. Uh, one of my hunting buddies, he wasn't the one. He was sleeping also in a canopy that night, too. <laughs> but my eyes were opened up, and I thought, okay, I don't care what happens next season. I'm going to be in a travel trailer. <laughs> and... Um, you know, so that made the price of elk meat go from $80 a pound to $800 a pound because, <laughs> anyway, because then you have to have a different truck to pull. Anyway, I'm going to go with all that. <laughs> and um, so God's purposes are so different than our plans. They're something higher and they're better. And this angel says to this teenage girl um, and, and, and tells this girl, and she has this question for him in verse 34, but how can this happen? 
I mean, I'm supposed to give birth? I'm a virgin. How is this going to happen? It's totally impossible. I haven't been with a man. It's beyond impossible. This is absurd. How is this going to happen to me? It'd be like if this angel showed up to me and says, Hey, Terry, you're going to give birth. Right? Now, you're all thinking, no, 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 no. It's not as impossible for you, Terry, because she would have, at least she had the proper plumbing. I'm going to say, no, she didn't. She had part of the proper plumbing, okay? I mean, it was an impossibility for her, and it was no less possible if God says to one of you men, you're going to give birth. I'm not saying he's saying that to you, okay? But you get my point. This was a virtual impossibility. Don't, don't minimize the size of this miracle because she had f- female plumbing. Don't do that. That's a mistake. This is an impossibility. And here's Mary. I'm his virgin. How am I going to give birth? Completely impossible. And there will be a time for all of you who are followers of Christ, there will come a time when God's going to interrupt you with something, an invitation to something. His purpose is going to be different than your plan. And he's going to ask you to have faith in him. He's going to ask you to believe in him for something impossible. And when that happens, you'll look at things, you'll say, I just don't see how this is possible. You know, God, you're asking me to forgive someone after what they've done. I, I just don't, that's not possible. Or you're asking me to trust you. You're asking me to be generous. I don't have any money right now. How am I, how, are you, I you're going to be able to say, I don't see how this is going to happen. Or, God, after this happened, I don't see how I'm ever going to have a good marriage again. Or, how in the world are you going to fix this relationship with my child after what he said or after what I did? Or God, there's no way that you can heal this person. The doctor said, gather the family. How, how, how is this going to happen? And that's what we see with Mary. And she's saying, hey, this isn't possible. There's just no way. And the angel replies to her, verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. In other words, this isn't a job for mankind. This is a God-sized job, okay? And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be, a, will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. For nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. For nothing is impossible with God, and I don't know who, but there are people sitting in this room today who came to church. I believed you were called by the Holy Spirit just for that phrase, just to hear the king say, you're facing some huge obstacle. You need to know, nothing is impossible with God. Nothing There may be things that are impossible with mankind, with us, but they are absolutely and completely possible with God. We serve this God who is all-knowing, who is ever-present and all-loving and all-powerful, and he can intervene. Our God is that good. He is, and with him all things are possible. And Mary says, I don't see a way, and this angel says, for nothing is impossible with God. And, and for some of you, for those of you who are followers of Christ, there's going to come a time when you feel interrupted and you wonder, is this an invitation 
from God or is this something else? And may God, God, God may ask you to do something that seems unbelievable or, or an attempt, attempt something that seems like you could never, ever accomplish this, this on your own. And you're right. On your own, you could never pull it off. But without faith, it's impossible to please God. Impossible. And so I just want to ask you this rhetorical but very direct question. What is God asking of you? What is it? What is he asking you to do? What is he asking you to believe? Our God is this speaking God. I believe he speaks to us. And I believe he's involved in our lives. He wants to direct you. And he, wa- he wants to shape you. And he wants to lead you. And he wants to guide you. What is he asking of you to do? What is he asking of you? Some of you, the answer to that question is immediate. You already know. You're sitting there right now and you're thinking, I already know this and I've been resisting God. And the Holy Spirit is saying, yeah and yeah. And some of you, you're going to maybe need a few minutes or a few days to just walk with the Lord and say, God, what, what is it? You know, what are you directing me to do and to be this season? For some of you, it's going to be, you know, God's asking you to get involved in some ministry somehow, somewhere, maybe at work, maybe at church. I don't know, but he's going to ask you, or he's going to maybe ask you to restore a relationship somewhere that went bad. And you're thinking, uh, they're not going to even hear me. But with God, there's a preparation that's already going on in the other person's heart. You can't accomplish that. Things that are impossible with you, God has those under control. Or God's going to ask you to reach out to someone who is way far away from him. Someone who just does not want to talk about the things of God. And you're afraid that if you bring God up, they'll hit you in the nose. Maybe they will. I don't know. But I can tell you this. If God is prompting your soul, there's a preparation going on at the other end that's not cool, although it is. It's supernatural. It's sovereign. It's powerful. It's real. And it will be effective. And you don't have to worry about how and what and so forth. There's, there's, there's a division of responsibility that will come to. And, and when you get there, here's what I want to say to you now and hope that you don't ever forget that. When God is asking you to take this step of faith, you should remember this statement. The results are God's responsibility. The obedience is ours. Results are always and only God's responsibility. God is the engineer here. Here's the designer. He said, here, here's we're gonna, how we're going to make this work. And he's responsible for things to work. You and I are only responsible to obey him. So when he asks us to do something and it doesn't make sense how it's going to work, he's not asking you to sharpen your pencil and fix his design. He's asking you just to obey and to trust him with faith. The results are in his corner. All you are ever called to do is to obey the king. Take the step of faith. The results are are, are with him and obedience is with, with us. And when those times come and God's calling you to trust him, you know, he wants you to start a Bible study. And you're thinking, I don't, I don't know the Bible that well. Okay, but God is saying, here are two guys. Call them up and say, hey, let's, the three, let's us three guys have breakfast twice a month. And let's learn the Bible together. 
I can't teach you guys anything. You, you know, maybe you can teach me something. Or we can teach you something. But if we spend time in the Word for breakfast twice a month, God's going to do something in us. Are you willing? Most guys will say, oh, I eat breakfast. <laughs> time will be a challenge, and it'll take something. But step out if the Lord is saying to you, you know, I believe it or not, this week I've had conversations with three different people. God's calling my family to tithe. What would you expect a pastor to say to them? Trust him. Trust him. God is saying to you, why don't you let me carry this weight? Or you can do it. And I think sometimes we say, well, we want the good things of God, but we don't want him to be the Lord of our lives. We want him to become the Lord of our problems but not the Lord of our lives. And I've... Or maybe God is saying to you, hey, I've talked to you before about fostering. And you're thinking, I've got three kids already. I'd have to go to a bigger minivan if I get another child. How is this going to work? And how will my other kids respond to someone that we didn't produce? And what am I supposed to do? And God's saying, none of that's... I get your concern, but none of that's your responsibility. You're responsible to hear my voice and to obey. Trust me. The obedience is our part. The outcome is God's. And when you surrender yourself to him, just like this teenager did a couple of thousand years ago, when in his sovereignty and with his great heart for us kids, he interrupts her. He's, in, in, he's inviting her to something higher and better because his purposes are different than her plans. And she has to remember when she goes through this that all things are possible. So how does she respond to this? We're going to wrap up here. We're at the very end. The very first thing she says, I love this, I am the Lord's servant. She reminds herself of who she is and whose she is. Then one of the greatest faith-filled statements in the entire Bible comes out of this girl, this teenage girl, bless her heart. May everything you have said about me come true. Not because she had figured it out and could see the conclusion and the results, but because she understood that obedience was hers and the results were the responsibility of the king. We're his servants. He's faithful and trustworthy, and with him all things are possible. Let's pray.